the Chateau Neuf de Parap? It'll be wasted on Tom. Here, this one. It's your fancy drop, seeing as you've opened it. A small one. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, I'm Amy. And I'm Gay. And together we are the co-founders and joint artistic directors of Human Story Theatre. We focus on new plays with a health and social care issue at heart and aim to be accessible to all. In 2018, our play Dry was commissioned by the NHS and explores middle-aged, middle-class drinking and how many people don't see their alcohol intake as a problem until it is too late. I think really deep down I probably knew that I shouldn't be drinking every day. I kind of thought that once we were married, he'd be so happy that he wouldn't need to drink anymore. I know that you can come out the other side. For every alcoholic, they badly affect at least five other people around them. Nothing worth having is straightforward, and we wouldn't value it if it was just given to us on a plate. Welcome to Human Story Theatre, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by a recovering alcoholic and recovery worker for the drug and alcohol service We Are With You, Paula. Great to see you. Thanks so much for agreeing to chat to me today. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's a pleasure. So I'm going to dive straight into the deep end and ask, when did you first realise you had a problem with drinking? Um, other people noticed before I did. I think really deep down, I probably knew that, you know, I shouldn't be drinking every day. And uh, I think when I crossed that invisible line of dependency, rather than just having a drink, I suppose I realised then, but I was in denial for a long, long time. Um, I had a lot of family and friends come and have a little chat, you know, out of concern. But, you know, it it, it wasn't, it was their problem, not mine, as far as I was concerned. And... How long have you been in recovery? Since uh, the 2nd of November 2016, so I'm coming up three and a half years. Fantastic. And how how did you get help in the end? Uh, I accessed our local services, which were at action at the time, but obviously now is known as We Are With You. Um, I resourced them online, um, found a number and made a call. Um, but this was mostly to get everybody off my back. I, I, I was fine. So I accessed them and they um, had uh, workshops I had to go along to. Um, I had a care coordinator that I reported to. Um, I went weekly. Um, I was quite shocked when I first went in. Um, there were some people in some bad ways and I thought this was definitely not a place that I should be. Um, you know, a bit of grandiose going on there. <laughs> I'm, I'm a normal mother. But, uh, you know, it didn't take long and I was just like those other people. My drinking increased um, and, uh, yeah, my dependency got worse. My withdrawals got worse. Um, I was put forward for a detox, um, which I did do. So that was a Librium detox that I did from home. What does that consist of? Okay, so it's a 
cocktail of drugs um, uh, because if you stop drinking um, suddenly your body will fit and you can actually die so it's a very slow reduction medicated so you have the Librium that fools your body into still thinking you're drinking Um, it has sleeping tablets it has vitamin B and thiamine and it slowly over a course of a week um, the medication is reduced and uh, you're on it about four times a day Um, and so that it's safely and controlled reduction because like I said it's dangerous to do it on your own people do do it and they do manage it but it's not the safest way I did that Lasted about a month <laughs> and uh, I, I picked up again thinking I was okay and I could manage, but um, I couldn't manage really. Um, and it didn't take long before I was back in the swing of drinking. How much were you drinking? I suppose, well, in the beginning, I started off with, you know, a few glasses of wine, which went to a bottle, which went to two bottles. Um, then I thought wine was quite calorific, so I switched to vodka Um, so I started on the, you know, 70 CLs and tried to make that last couple of days. Um, but then I'd, you know, if there was anything else around, I'd drink that too. But by the end of my drinking, it was up to a litre a day of vodka. Goodness, that's, that's quite a lot. It is. It is. Um, people go to do more. <laughs> but um, and I suppose I could have done more, but um, I don't know what stopped me. So well, how did that amount of alcohol affect you physically? When I say wait, when I woke up in the morning, um, I would be very shaky. Um, I would be dry retching, which is is absolutely awful. Um, my whole body would heave from my toes to the top of my head, um, my body convulsing. And I had to get a drink in me to stop this. So I would drink it, it would come back out again. And then I'd try and get another one in just to stop the convulsions and the, the retching. Um, I'd sweat, I had um, stomach spasms, and then I got quite forgetful. Um, I couldn't I couldn't find words. Um, my nervous system was starting to, to break down. I would again have involuntary body spasms through the day. Um, I tried to roll with it, but it got to the point where I had to have a drink to stop them. I, I turned yellow. (laughs) So, um, I had, uh, been to the doctors and they had start doing blood tests, um, to keep a check on my liver. And they came back and, you know, I thought, oh, well, I've got a bit of wiggle room there. I can still carry on. The day my son turned around and said, Mummy, why are your eyes yellow? Was uh, was pretty bad. Um, and so I went into hospital uh, one day for a checkup. Um, and then uh, I didn't leave. I don't remember going to the hospital. I don't remember the checkup. I don't remember the week that I spent in hospital while they detoxed me again. This was my third detox, actually, um, because I had um, access services. Every time I fell off the wagon, I accessed services again. I kind of didn't give up. Um, but this was more powerful than me. It, it was controlling everything. It became the foremost of my life, even before my own children, which is horrific to say, but that's what it does. It possesses you. It 
it controls you and it takes you down. And at the end of the day, once the addiction has got hold of you, um, it's life and death. It, it wants you to die. It wants to take everything. It took my mind, it took my body and it took my soul um, to a place where I didn't even want to wake up. Um, I was fearing life more than I feared death. And if I didn't wake up in the morning, that would be absolutely fine because I wouldn't need to carry on. How did you find your, your soul again? Previously to going into that hospital appointment that I had and staying in there, I had, again, like I said, access services. I was very, very lucky and um, I got funding to go into a rehab. My exact words to him were, please lock me away. I can't do this anymore. Um, it's like I needed someone just to wrap their arms around me and take care of me until I could get back on track. And uh, that's exactly what happened. I went into rehab for three months, um, which I didn't do willingly because of the thought of not seeing my children. Um, even though I've, you know, I was here for my children. I, I've, I met all their needs, but I just wasn't here as a mum. It was... Uh, it wasn't great for them. I'm, you know, I did my best, but I just withdrew so much. You know, it wasn't fair. But no, going into rehab was just amazing. Um, it's like Big Brother House. <laughs> <laughs> Gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it, it just gave me that time to reevaluate um, myself. Um, it gave me time to heal. I was pretty broken. I'd suffered from a lot of depression, which is why I started self-medicating with alcohol. Um, I'd had a lot of trauma in my life, which, you know, I just tucked away and got on with. And, and one day it just all got a little bit too much. So I, um, you know, just thought, oh, well, let's have a drink and make it all feel better. Um but, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on underneath. The alcohol's just the mask. It's just the medicine. Um, but no, I, I, I found myself and I became someone in the house. I mean, it's, it's very male dominated. Um, there was only me and one other girl. But um, before the other girl came in, um, it was kind of just me. And uh, so I became the mummer of the house and I, and I had a place and, you know, I could nurture them and I could look after them and keep them in check. And uh, we were really, really tight. And there's um, there at least four of us that are still in contact, which is really, really nice. And we're all still doing well, you know, because... Uh, the ratio of success, if you've got 10 people, then, you know, there's only three that are going to make it. It's really low. Some will die, some will relapse, some will keep going on the merry-go-round. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be one of those lucky ones because there are so many people that don't make it. So you've mentioned that several times you reached out to services, which was called Add action and is now we are with you. You now work as a recovery worker for we are with you, which is wonderful. Tell me how that happened. Honestly, I think it was meant to be. I was meant to be an alcoholic to do my job, and I it's the best job I've ever done. I mean, I'm a trained qualified chef, which I was for 15 years. I've worked with special needs children. Um, 
But this, I love it. I really get a buzz. It's my new buzz. And, you know, I wear my lanyard like a gold medal. Well, so you should. So you should. <laughs> I think that the work that recovery workers do is, you know, inspirational and so, so important. So tell me what, what it is exactly that, that you do and what services are run. You can come to us and then we put you on a system. Um, You have a care coordinator who you liaison with and then they find the best form of treatment for you of what we have to offer. Um, Generally, um, you're asked to attend workshops to sort of um, show willing. And then some people go for a detox. Some people often are able to stop on their own. And then they get forwarded over to my building where we run a day programmes So they come to us from half past nine to half past four. Um, We do check-ins with them. We do group therapy. We do workshops on triggers, on um, relationships, self-esteem, varied amount of things. All the things that you've lost in your addiction, you know, your confidence and all of those things, we kind of build you back up again. And then um, in the afternoon, they have other groups. So it could be a recovery workshop group. It could be yoga, mindfulness, art, mindful art. Um, We offer a lot of stuff in the afternoon and it's a drop in. So people who have already accessed us still drop back in in the afternoon. So there's a nice little community going on and lunch is made every day. But we do offer after the, the initial eight weeks, we offer a further eight weeks of uh, next steps and uh, we bring a lot of outside charities and uh, people in to help people maybe get back into college um, to get some further education um, to do some voluntary work will enable them to then look for jobs um, so we have a lot of resources that we can then feed onto them so you know we, we build them up and then we start making them you know letting them make some sort of decisions and you know and then you know we let them off into the big wide world but uh we also offer you know family resources we um we work with um young people we have a young people's team and also we offer um a group for family members and carers and partners of the people that are in addiction we offer some support and group work for them so and a volunteer service which is what I did I I went from a client to a peer mentor a peer advocacy voluntary and then um, they they asked me to go for a job so that's what I did being part of something and actually you know when I'm at work I'm Paula I'm, I'm not mum and I'm not a sister or a daughter, and it's just me. And do you know what? I love it. I love it. And the fact that I can really um, relate to these people. I mean, not everyone discloses, but I don't have a problem with disclosing because I think, you know, if the more you put it out there, the less people will be fearful of doing it themselves. And also it's educating people. If I say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, the amount of people that then want to ask you questions, you know, it's, it's education. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm being educated and I, I, I'm really genuinely interested in, in your, you know, very human, honest story, as it were. And actually, you mentioned so much work and uh, that we are with you do and so many, uh, so many different things that, 
that they offer. You mentioned about triggers. Now I'm I'm being nosy here and I'm very interested in what were your triggers for drinking? I got really sad. Very, very sad. Um I'd I'd um I'd gone through abuse. My stepfather was an alcoholic. Um he wasn't very nice and uh I paid the brunt of it. And uh, you know, um I was I've never been lucky in love and I think um you know I've I've shielded away from from relationships. I can be everybody's friend, but when it comes to on a personal level, I find it really, really difficult. Um but when I was uh was I twenty nine and I met my husband, um and he's the only proper relationship I ever had. Um but then unfortunately in the 10 years we were together with our two boys he had um two affairs and you know it was it was really really hard and I just felt abandoned again I think I I, I do suffer from abandonment you know that I don't ever feel wanted enough um I have the most amazing friends and mums and sisters but when it comes to um the male species I think my guard's up too much you know I go into the friend zone and that's where I stay um but my trigger was obviously I didn't deal with stuff. I just packed it all away, dusted myself down and, you know, just got on with life because that's what you got to do. But, you know, I suppose everyone has their breaking point and that was mine. Um, but I have thought in in the time I've been sober that um, what what would send me over the edge? What would trigger me? And I thought, well, it would definitely be the loss of my mum because she got me through so much stuff. She's an, the most amazing woman. Um, she looked after my boys and me and tried to keep life going. You know, and the fact of losing either my sisters or my sons, you know, I would think, oh, yeah, well, I definitely hit the bottle there. What I do is nowadays and what I've learned to do through recovery is turn things upside down. And um, I thought, how disappointed would they be if they knew that I picked up a drink because they weren't here anymore? You know, I, I love a pat on the back. I love, you know, I love my ego inflated, which I do have to be careful of. <laughs> but, you know, I like, you know, I like a well done. And um, and I the thought of disappointing someone is so huge that that would stop me because of their disappointment, because I've managed to just turn everything around. And, you know, from being told you've got a month left to live to now. Is that what they said? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and you know what? Even that didn't make any difference at the time. That is the madness of the disease of alcoholism. Nothing phases you, you know? It's it's absolutely bonkers. The the uh, the obsession to drink has left, you know. It it just doesn't bother me whatsoever because I can be bonkers enough without it. And I've learned that, you know, <laughs> when you first belly laugh or start dancing and cracking jokes without any substances inside you, you know you've you, you've cracked it. You know, it, it's a good day. Yeah, magical moment, I would imagine. Yeah, because you do think that you need that drink for a bit of that courage. You need that drink to, you know, make yourself have a good time. 
and you don't. And when you find it, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. I think a lot of people who, who aren't recovering alcoholics or aren't alcoholics would agree with you about that. You know, oh, the, the Dutch courage of walking into a party, let's have a quick drink before I go because, you, you know, you're nervous socially. Or I think I felt things like that. It, it's really, really common, I would imagine. I love, absolutely love your honest uh, approach to to telling your story, Paula. I really do. It, it's really moving and admirable, and and I feel I feel your positivity and your warmth towards helping others. So I'd love to end with what Gay would call a Pollyanna moment. Do tell us what hope there is out there for people on the road to recovery with their alcoholism. There is hope, and there is. There is an answer. It's not easy, but you can do it. You know, having that self-belief in yourself, keep paddling, keep asking. You know, there, there's so many people out there to help. And, you know, I'm, I'm just one example of someone who's managed to, to get through it. And I know hundreds of others. And it, it is manageable. Don't let this disease of alcoholism take you down you are so much better than that you know find find that stubborn woman in you uh, find that stubborn man in you you know don't let something get the better of you because you are the bigger better person you know addiction does only lives and breathes through you and if you can acknowledge okay you want to be part of my life but I don't want you to so off you go you know, acknowledgement and acceptance is amazingly important to being able to, to get through this. And there are lots and lots of people. You're never, never alone. You know, find yourself an AA meeting, find yourself your local services for drug and alcohol because they're there and people are passionate and they do this job. They definitely don't do this job for the money. They do it for the love. Do you know what I mean? They, because they're driven by it. And people do this because they care. If you've been affected by anything in this podcast, please visit our website, humanstorytheatre.com slash podcast for information about organisations that can offer support. In the next episode, we'll be hearing from Jo Huey, daughter of an alcoholic and champion of NACOA, the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. People do things for a reason. I don't see it as an excuse. I think it rolls into excuse if we keep using it as a get-out clause. But I think if we're trying to understand why somebody started drinking or why someone's developed an addiction, I don't think that's an excuse. I think that's a very valid reason for why someone's started drinking. And they equally have to accept the consequences and the responsibility of their decisions and, and actions and all of that that comes with it. But obviously, if people keep using it as a reason to not do something, then that's when they're using it as an excuse. Do subscribe to Human Story Theatre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> Thank you.